Welcome to Ayurvedic Healing and Beyond podcast. My name is Vignesh Devaraj, an Ayurvedic doctor and holistic health coach. Each week we share wisdom or interview an inspiring personality to guide you become your healthiest self. Remember, your health is your greatest asset. If you are interested in learning about the Ayurvedic approach to have a healthy skin and hair, I'm holding an online workshop this coming Sunday, which is the 16th of August. Please check the show notes for the registration details. In case you are listening to this episode after the 16th, please check my website for further workshop details. In today's episode, I am interviewing Laura Plump, an international educator on the power of Vedic sciences. She is the founder and director of Veda Wise and author of the best-selling book Ayurveda Cooking for Beginners. She is an avid Ayurvedic practitioner who also integrates Vedic astrology, Ayurvedic nutrition, yoga and meditation in her coaching and training sessions. And the topics that we are going to discuss today are about Vedic astrology, also known as Jyotish, which means to give light. How to align with the energy of the full moon, new moon, planets and also to make sense of the current pandemic from the Vedic astrological point of view. A very insightful interview with lots of wisdom. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Now we go over to Laura. Thank you so much, Laura Plum, for being in my podcast. I'm so looking forward for this interview with you. I hope you're keeping well in California right now. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you. We are well. So, Laura, my question, as a Westerner, what got you interested into Vedic philosophy and in particular Vedic astrology? I think that the thing that got me into it is that it's one of the greatest systems of healing. And it's so comprehensive that I found everything that I was looking for, everything I was curious about, everything that I had ever studied seemed to be at home, Mm -hmm. actually in Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. Um, Prior to that, I was, of course, well, not of course, but many people in the West practice yoga. Mm -hmm. And for many of us, yoga is the pathway to Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but when I found Ayurveda, I really felt such a deep passion for it. I really felt I came home to what I was looking for my whole life. Mm-hmm. I grew up close to Lake Michigan, which is in the center part of the north of America. Mm-hmm. And I was at the lake winter, spring, summer, fall. I used to, before I knew what meditation was, I used to sit there and just sort of meditate on the lake, meditate on the changing nature of the lake and the seasons. And I felt like the lake was in a way like a mother to me. And so once I found Ayurveda, again, I feel like I found something that was, you know, a deep part of my, my life practice, my soul and my soul longing. Uh, So I was very lucky to find some great teachers, teachers who had studied, of course, in India, uh, people like Dr. David Frawley, but also teachers who have come to the United States from India. Mm -hmm. And so, and then of course, as you know, in, in the past 10 or 12 years, I've been going, yeah, since 2008, I've been going almost twice a year. (laughs) <laughs> so I love love it and the people are gentle mm-hmm. and I find that the most beautiful thing about Ayurveda the thing that I always am struck by and that I love so much is that there's a deep compassion in the science in the wellness but actually in the practitioners in the doctors and the technicians and that compassion I think is what the world needs so much right now yes when you say compassion there is this element of human touch and love and that is a completely different dimension to healing other than looking at body like a robot right to be a scientist who brings that much love Mm -hmm. right 
that's a very beautiful and unique thing. I think that's what a healer is. Healer is a scientist with a touch of human love. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. So, Laura, um, when it comes to this Vedic astrology and also being a practitioner of um, Ayurveda, yoga, healing, and when you blend Vedic astrology there, what, do you, what benefits do you see in, your, in the people who come to you for their healings? Well, when I first had uh, a Jyotish, a reading, so to speak, with a Jyotish master here, mm -hmm. I was, you know, it was mind-blasting. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. really extraordinary to think that by looking at the time that a person is, the day and the time that a person is born in the place, you can see the sort of matrix of light created by the stars and the planets and realize that then a human being is a coming alive of that pattern of light and intelligence mm -hmm. and radiance. It's really extraordinary. And then you can apply it to many things. You can apply it, of course, to their life, the life challenges. You can apply it to their choice of, of work or creativity, even looking at their relationships and how to understand that better. But then there's also medical astrology. And we can look at, uh, we can see some of the Ayurveda of a person mm -hmm. in their geotish natal chart or in other charts as well. But, you know, for instance, we can look at their rising sign to get a better idea of their, their prakriti. Mm -hmm. their mind-body constitution. We can look at um, certain houses to better understand digestion or their capacity to overcome chronic illness. So it can be a great tool to help us with, to be more precise, to be mm -hmm. more specific in terms of looking at their, their Ayurveda and their Ayurveda chances for health and wellness. Well, at Ayurveda, we have special you know, recommendations which planned for in which month to be used for the preparation of the medicines and also which therapies to be done in which months. I mean, the seasons are a result of planetary changes or the movement of the sun and the moon, and this all is affected. So definitely Ritu Charya is like the seasonal regimens. It's all about how we align with the planetary positions. Also, we could also look at it that way. Absolutely, we can look at it that way. I, I love what you just said because I often remind people that, that the, that the seasons happen. Mm -hmm. because of our, our own movement and our movement through time and space and through the cosmic. So we have to attune not just to natural rhythms, but also to cosmic rhythms. And I just would like to say, when, when you ask how I came to Ayurveda and Jyotish, what you just said mm -hmm. <laughs> is why. I, I think see, so sure. many of us in the West are, the French have this term, déraciné, to mm -hmm. be de-rooted. Mm -hmm. Not just uprooted, but to actually have had our roots cut off mm -hmm. from our own histories, our own cultures, and our own relationship to, to nature and to those mm -hmm. rhythms. And I think we have inside of us, whether we know it or not, we have this subtle but powerful and important longing to be restored to that relationship with, with nature and with mm -hmm. natural rhythm and cosmic rhythm. We long for it. And when you find it in Ayurveda and Jyotish, you find it in a scientific way mm -hmm. that feels to be validated as well as to be sort of the end of that <laughs> soul longing. <laughs> I think I used to question why are why is it that you know you know we say this Eastern culture and Western culture, and uh, we say that Western culture has a lot of scientific and materialistic, and they have achieved what the physical aspects of uh, comfort can reach and. When it comes to the Eastern culture, you see great levels of enlightenment, spirituality, uh, I mean, like meditations, Zen, Tao, all of these aspects. So 
I used to think what has to do with the east and the west. Then I thought maybe the sun came first in the east, so mm. they started mm. trusting everything, and it was quite late to the west, so mm-hmm. they were not trusting what will happen next. So they have to depend everything on scientific rational. They were doubting everything, but in the east you have to trust because the sun came first. So you had the luxury of sun coming first than later. <laughs> That's a really beautiful point because, of course, the sun rises in the east. And there is, you know, there is someone at the British Royal Geographical Society Mm -hmm. who was a great world explorer. And I once went to a lecture that he gave there. Mm -hmm. And he said something along those lines about the sun and this light rising in the east. And then you see sort of these great spiritual leaders coming originally in the east and then the Middle East and then traveling west. And it's quite an interesting point he was making about the awakening, Mm. you might say, Mm -hmm. of the world. So he was saying something similar to what you're saying. But he mapped it out as a, as a geologist, geographer. I mean. <laughs> well, I would love to uh, read that. But this is just my common sense and uh, coming out of, out of the box thinking. So uh, this question that I want to ask you, uh, once we understand, okay, you have the, we have this horoscope and we say these planets are influencing, like in Sanskrit, the word, for planet is graha. And if you r- read the meaning of the word graha, it means that which grasps you, or which has a really potential influence over your energy. So, you know, sometimes we say that the planets are, deter- it's already predetermined what will happen because of the planet. Some people cannot tolerate that or believe that. But some people say, okay, my planets are in good uh, alignment, so things are going to get great. So some people say, it's depressing to know that my life is not going well because my planets are not correct. But on the other hand, people also say, okay, I'm successful and that's because the planets are good. So I thought it is me who created this beautiful life. But so it is not me, it's just the planet. So mm. what is it mm-hmm. that we have it in control and what is it that we don't have it in control when you look at it from a right. astrology point of view? Right. Such a great question. It's, it's, it's really in many ways the big question of, of Jyotish. You know, first of all, I love the word graha. Mm-hmm. And I often say that to my clients that we call them planets, but that's not really fair because in that term, we're also including the sun and the moon. Mm-hmm. And so graha is a better term. It's more inclusive. Mm-hmm. And graha, of course, grasp, but we also have terms like aparigraha. Mm-hmm. Right? We, many people who practice yoga are familiar somewhat with that term. And, and so I think it's an important understanding of the planets that they can grasp. Or graha gives us our English word gravity. Mm. It can have a gravitational pull upon us. Mm-hmm. And so first of all, I would say, I find that very exciting that we are a whole operating within a whole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we yeah. are in a world where all these beautiful forces are acting upon us. I mean, it's, we talk about the universe. What does that mean? Uni means one and verse means song. Mm-hmm. We are, we are a, a note. We are a, a lyrical song within a larger song. And I think that's extraordinary and magical and just so exciting to know that you're part of that. And then when we look at the Jyotish, we can see the song that you really are and how you can play those notes better to really make your life more of a symphony and to harmonize better with the world at large. In terms of your question, it's a great question, but I would just say that both ways of looking at it, there's ego there. Mm. There's ego to say, woe is me, I've just got bad planets, or to say, I created all of this. Mm -hmm. I think 
all of the Vedic sciences, you know, I often also say to people when we're talking about Jyotish, Jyotish comes out of, you know, not everybody in the West would know this, that Jyotish comes out of the same source that yoga emerges from, right? Mm -hmm. And so as a Vedic science, we are helping people dissolve the ego mm -hmm. and move back to sort of oneness or at least back to the heart. And I think Jyotish is one of the greatest ways you can do that. When you know more about your planets, then you know more about your, the adversity in your life, the challenges in your life, and what they're meant to help you learn and how they can help you grow, how it can help you maintain the truth of yourself in your heart and not turn away from life or shut down from life. Mm -hmm. So with somebody, let's go to the, per the person who says, I've got all these great planets and look at my great life. And it's too bad to know that it's the planets because I thought I created it. Mm -hmm. Well, I would, I would go to them and I would say, isn't it great that you have a great life? <laughs> exactly. And, right. And how can you then take all of those gifts and use it to better yourself mm -hmm. and serve humanity or serve life? Right. Mm -hmm. How can you take all that goodness and have an attitude of gratitude? and then take that forward to help others mm -hmm. with, with the person. And then another way we might look at it is to say, planetary activity is a lot like a storm or it's a lot like weather, let's say. Mm -hmm. So the one person has a sunny, beautiful day, day after day after day after day. Mm -hmm. One person's born in Kerala <laughs> and they're born on the coast and they're born to a family of Ayurvedis and they have maybe a good life. Mm -hmm. And so they have good weather every single day, let's say. Somebody's mm -hmm. born in San Diego where there's good weather every day. I think you would say, aren't I lucky to be living where there's good weather all the time? Mm -hmm. And instead of to say, I created this great weather, how about <laughs> I'm so happy to be a part of this. And then the person who is living in a place who's born to a place where the weather is terrible all the time, and that happens. If you're in the north, uh, in the very north, it's going to be cold all the time. There's places where it's rainy and cloudy most, almost every day. And so what do they do? Do they say, I must be a terrible person or I am so unlucky? I'm just going to be miserable all the time. Oftentimes what you find is that people who are raised with more challenge, they become stronger people. Mm. Oftentimes you'll see that in the chart where there's people with difficult planets or difficult situations in the chart. You will see that they've grown to be strong people with a caring heart. And when we look at who might win an election to be president or prime minister, we'll often say it's the one who has the more challenged chart because they have had to overcome greater adversity, they are stronger and they are now wanting to help others and lift others up. So we can't say that you look at a chart and you automatically say you're lucky or you're not lucky. You've created this or you haven't. We say, how can we work with what you've got? You've got good weather, you don't have good weather and help you evolve and also help the evolution of consciousness for all. Wow, I just really love the way you describe this. And see, there's a beautiful quote that says there are no bad weather only bad clothing or bad preparations <laughs> yes that's great so, i mean uh, if it's raining some people would love the rain they want to go and dance in it if it's uh, <laughs> snowing uh, okay for me the first time i went to uh, siberia uh, in, in russia and they said, oh, it's going to be super freezing. But I was so fascinated that I'm going to see the snow because I never saw snow. And we always take the sun for granted because in Kerala, we have three climates, hot, hotter, and hottest. <laughs> right. And in between it rains or sometimes now it floods also. 
But right. and, you know, we are so fascinated with the concept of snow, the whitish covering of the whole uh, mountains and the places. And when you wore the right clothing, that was such a great experience. So I think yes. if you ask the surfers, they would say that the only thing that they miss is great storm so that the waves can <laughs> go up and they can do their surfing. And they travel <laughs> to different parts of the world looking where the next storm in the beach is going to come. Right. And I have a friend who traveled the world to ski. Exactly. Looking for the snow. And you know, when you said, you know, you get snow, you make a snowman. Exactly. And, right. So it's, it's not just the preparation and the clothing. Mm -hmm. It's actually then what are you going to do with what you've been given? Exactly. And so, yeah, it's beautiful to look at the chart because we're looking into, I always like to say to someone, thank you for allowing me to peer into the stars with you. You know, you're looking at something very intimate, mm. but also very powerful, you know. How did we come alive? Who made this world? Mm. And how are you able to be a part of it in a really beautiful and glorious way? I think that's also, I think we need to describe the meaning of the Sanskrit word Jyotish. I mean, Jyoti means mm. light, you know, to give light. Mm. And mm. we have a Shanti mantra called Tamasoma Jyotirkami. I mean, take me from darkness to light. I think Jyotish right. find the light in you uh, and looking at the charts. So what can you do with what you have? Right. And it's I nice. love the way you put that. Uh, I never read this word universe. It's like universe. It's like one song. Wow. Mm. That's really beautiful. Right. Well, and that's in a way that you, you, we look at the planet Jupiter, the outermost planet, the outermost graha. Mm -hmm. and at least that can be seen with the naked eye and he's this big beautiful planet if you google him you'll see that many images of jupiter he has what looks like an eye mm -hmm. he's considered to be a seer mm -hmm. and one of his names is guru <laughs> exactly and why because he sees the whole of the flow he sees all the workings of the planets all flowing together in a kind of oneness it's kind of like that's the sanatana dharma that's that that universal right alignment and flow. <laughs> and what is Jyotish, but it's helping us align with that. Exactly. And that's the song, that's the universe, that's becoming one with it. But it's more than just one with it, it's to feel your heart singing, right, with that mm -hmm. aliveness. <laughs> and, and also here, I would like to say, we just spoke about the meaning of the word Jyotish, which means to bring in light. And you, you're talking about Jupiter, which, means guru uh, and the word guru means remover of darkness so yes yes <laughs> quite yes and by the way yes. i will come back to jupiter because i was reading about uh, how the position of jupiter in the year 2020 is creating a lot of chaos but i will come back to that after a few more questions <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the juicy one <laughs> the big question <laughs> so uh, one thing i want to ask you I mean, uh, we see a lot of um, explanations how astrology works, like, you know, our body is 70% of water and the water element in planet Earth has a lot of, uh, I mean, it is highly influenced by the moon, like during the ebb and tide has a lot to do with the position of the moon. And 70% of our body is also, I mean, yeah, water. So we take into consideration, like for I mean, uh, coming from India, we have such a huge hype about new moon and full moon. Like we even have 
things like Guru Purnima, like we have Amavasya, like we don't do anything new auspicious on new moon, but a full moon is considered to be extremely auspicious. You start something which is closer to or after the new moon, I mean, sorry, after the full moon, a lot of good things are happening. So uh, could you tell me, I mean, what are the uh, things that we can do on a new moon and full moon? Yes. As I'm listening to you, I am feeling that, I hope it's okay to say this, but I, I'm feeling that how can anyone listen to this and not feel that they want to come to the Sita Ram Ayurveda Center <laughs> that you have in Kerala on the coast? Because there's such a delicacy with which you describe mm-hmm. our connection mm-hmm. with the cosmos and with nature. And how does anybody not want to experience that? Because, and how, does, how do we listen to that and not feel ourselves already healing, mm-hmm. right? Already being restored to wholeness. This to me is true, true healing, that we're restored to the natural world, to the cosmic world, to the wholeness that is. And that, you know, that rearranges our cells, that rearranges the neurological uh, map or pattern in the brain. Mm-hmm. Just to hear these stories, I think, and to recognize that you and the people that you work with are um, preparing the plants in certain seasons, right? Mm-hmm. And understanding the movements of the moon and not starting anything until day five mm-hmm. of the new moon. It's so, so beautiful. And I just feel it's so healing, even just to hear it. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, right, when I... Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I see the difference uh, on certain treatments that are happening on the new moon and certain treatments that happen on full moon. I see it, how people behave on new moon. If there is any collective behaviors on a full moon, this is something that I'm very sensitive and I observe it. And accordingly, we also change certain treatments. But we don't mm. openly uh, tell this to our patients. But some patients are very sensitive to the energy of new moon and full moon. They say... I think it's because of the full moon, my sleep was disturbed, or I think because of the new moon, I'm feeling low in my energy. And of mm-hmm. course, the menstrual cycle in women, this is highly influenced by the moon also. Mm-hmm. Right. So thank you for putting it so that I could bring out this side of uh, my experience. But now I'm looking That's... forward for your <laughs> feedback. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, very beautiful thing. It's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And we know that there's something that we have in the West called the Farmer's Almanac. Mm-hmm. And the farmer's almanac follows, tracks the moon, and it tracks the movements and the waxing and waning of the moon. Why? Because the farmers know that, you know, you want to plant your seeds at the new moon, and they will grow as the moon is waxing. And so they also have the same idea, mm-hmm. uh, which is very, very beautiful, that nature is responding to the moon and its movements, its flow. So just to get back to your question, so there's a, there is no English term, believe it or not, for Amavasya. And Amavasya, it, yes. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because people will say it means new moon, but actually I think it means if we could say it dark moon. Hmm. It's actually when the moon is in the same part of the sky from our vantage point of Earth as the sun. Obviously, hmm. the moon is not near the sun, far mm-hmm. away, but it's as we look at it, it's in the same part of the sky. And it's either seven degrees from where the sun is on either side. So there's about a 14 degree movement there. But it means that we don't see the moon. Or if we see it, we just can barely see it. It's setting when the sun sets over the western horizon. The new moon is actually when the moon has started to pull away from the sun. It's seven degrees after where the sun is in the sky. 
And so the Amavasi moon is, is really important. And I, I find it interesting that we don't really have it in, in the English language. You don't have an understanding of it because it's really a time where, A, you could say the moon is dark. Mm-hmm. So if the moon is so influential on our hormones, now we don't have any influence. So of course we may feel tired. Of course we may feel uh, not just fatigued, but emotionally we feel a little drained. Mm-hmm. It's an important time for us to do what the sun is, do- the moon is doing. What is the moon doing? Well, the moon gets its light from the sun. It doesn't source its own light. It reflects the light of the sun. So whether it's a crescent or it's full, it's just a reflection of the sun's light. So when it goes dark, you could say it's gone into the same place where the sun is. It's gone back to its source. We too can go back to our source by resting or by meditating. Right? We want to go back to where our light is. So this is during the Amavasya, you mean? Like Amavasya. Mm-hmm. And for those who are in the English language or the Western language, it's when the moon is really dark. Mm-hmm. So it's been waning, waning, waning. Now you look and you don't see it. It's that night where you also can see the stars best mm-hmm. because the moon is not there to block the light. So it's a beautiful time to go out after the sun has set, after it's gotten dark, see the stars, but then also get to bed early. And it's, as I said, it's a good time to be quiet, to be restful, etc. And then as the moon is waxing, our energy is growing. Mm-hmm. So we can plant the seeds, so to speak, of our intentions. That's why journaling is good when the moon is new. And when the moon is new, we, we, we can also meditate on what is it that we want to grow, right? Mm-hmm. What is it that we want to step forward and do? After day five, now the moon has got enough strength that we can start to be more active. Mm. And it's said that as the moon is waxing and waxing, we're getting more and more energy. And we want to start to get more maybe social, maybe more active, more dynamic. And then when the moon is full, we have that fullness, that fullness of energy. But then as the moon wanes and the more it's waning, the more again our energy is draining. We start to turn, about halfway through, we start to turn in, turn in, turn in, and get quieter and quieter. So it's very beautiful for people. I often recommend, especially for women, to watch the moon. I'll say to them, just track the moon. Try to find out every day where is the moon. Not by Googling it, but by looking at it, Mm -hmm. by going outside or looking out your window. Mm-hmm. and seen now if it's cloudy or rainy you can't see it that's understandable but still look look and pay attention to what the moon is doing and then notice how that affects you right and then go accordingly it's in india of course as you've mentioned this is very celebrated and there's many many rituals around the moon mm-hmm. uh, so i think that's a great invitation for people outside of india to do some of that as well to pay attention is my moon is sorry is my energy weaker also you can notice if you have a strong moon in your chart or you have a weak moon in your chart monday is the day of the moon so is monday a day where you want to be very energetic because you have a strong moon in your chart or if the moon is not so strong in your chart maybe monday is a day for silence or more meditation it's a day where you have to be careful to get more rest it may be a day of fasting Mm. That's really uh, uh, very well put. So now I know what uh, to really do on a new moon, like journaling and putting all the seeds, but I will start acting on it after the fifth day. That makes more sense. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, also, yes. even I think on Amavasya, I think even on the actual point where the moon is dark, then we don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. We just internalize. 
and then it's the next day that we we can be writing down our intentions mm. creating your vision boards those sort of things that people like to do <laughs> That's making plans mm -hmm. so the planning on the new moon and execution after the fifth day or when the waxing starts right i think also nature of the moon nature has winter mm -hmm. uh, the moon has its amavasya we have also nature showing us that we too need to rest exactly. <laughs> we need some time where we just rest so. i think that's the, the that's one of the greatest wisdom a human being can get in 21st century that we also need to rest <laughs> right and when it comes to the full moon what rituals are the best so you know i love i i again just to bring it back just to the simplest simplest i think it's beautiful when the moon is full to just bask in the moonlight you know mm. give yourself a moon bath so whether it's that you're able to go outside and lie down on the grass or the beach or wherever you are and you just really feel that you are inhaling the moonlight mm. right and it's bathing your whole body so you inhale and it you breathe it in and with the exhale you just feel that moonlight flowing through you even if you can't go out, you just sit at the window and you look at the moon. So you've been tracking the moon, you've been watching it grow, you've been watching it wax, you, you see it as it gets full. And then you sit and watch it and you sort of breathe it, into, breathe it onto your skin and in through your skin. And, you know, there's different things you can do. There's certainly mantras that you can do and there's, um, deep, you know, more, more involved meditations you can do. Also, there's certain dietary practices that you can do. But I think just, just that is that if you're observing the moon, you will notice, you will feel it and breathe it in. And the moon, of course, as you said, it relates to water, relates in a way to ojas. It's very soothing. It's cooling, can help to reduce some of the pitta, can help to be grounding for the vata. So it can be such a beautiful, you might say, healing in itself. It restores wholeness. Of course, when it's time to go to sleep, I would say try to make sure the room is very dark. <laughs> because that moonlight can certainly when it's yeah, the moon's exactly. full it can certainly keep us awake <laughs> i mean uh, in during the summer season i think once the rainy season finishes when the clouds are uh, not there so much once we have the full moon we used to have a full moon meditation where uh, we make people sit in our garden and you can actually see the moon rise just like we see the sunrise and sunset, we can actually see the witness the moonrise. This is one of the most beautiful experiences that I have seen. And soon after people do that, they are like stoned. You know, they go back and they feel like they were possessed. That kind of a feeling I see in some uh, some of the patients who come here. But I'm sure this mm. has a profound energy in us. I I, I so love that because. The moon, when it's fallen and when it's rising, it mm -hmm. looks five times bigger, right? Yeah. There's some optical illusions. It just mm -hmm. looks so large and just hangs, dripping. And, you know, I love this idea of soma. Mm. And in a way, perhaps the early, early, early yogis, you know, they maybe were going into the Himalayas and taking a plant that they called soma and making an elixir that altered their state of consciousness when they drank it. And there is some talk that that's poss a possibility. Later, it's more and more difficult. It's not able to harvest that plant, or sorry, they're not able to cultivate that plant, and it's harder and harder to obtain. And so they they created the yoga practices in order to be able to 
get themselves into that state mm. of higher awareness that the plant medicine had given them. And that's watching the moon rise, a full moon rise, and then gazing at it in a meditation. It is a bit like drinking soma, the nectar of immortality. So I can see where people are a little bit sort of stoned or altered, <laughs> and then probably had a good night's sleep. <laughs> Especially people who have anxiety disorders, and I, I see them, I tell them, okay, this is a full moon is coming, we need to do this meditation, we will be sitting on chair and looking at the full moon. And then the next day, they will be like calm, relaxed, mm -hmm. grounded, a completely mm -hmm. different personality. And we might think, are they having any personality disorder? Mm -hmm. And there you go. So this person who says, I have success and I don't want it to be the charter. I have <laughs> bad planets. You know? Well, look at that. Look at what you just said. I mean, isn't that beautiful to realize that nature and the cosmos can influence us for the better? Why wouldn't we want that? Exactly. <laughs> yes, I love that. And the moon in the chart relates to manas. Mm -hmm. the it does relate to the mind. Mm -hmm. So uh, I won't take much of time. The last question. We were talking about guru. I read that, okay, now uh, statisticians, economists, uh, epidemiologists, they all are not able to predict what's going to happen, how it's going to, all we know is things are uncertain. So does astrology have something to contribute here? And we read that Jupiter was out of alignment and that is creating a lot of turmoil around the planet. And so I would like to just to know from a, someone who is specialized in Vedic astrology, the, the take on this epidemic that's mm. going on. Okay, yes. Om Shri Gurubhyo Namaha. I, I, I am here. There I go by the grace of the Guru. Uh, so in, with deep, deep gratitude and pranams to all of my teachers, I will share what some of the things that, that we've been hearing and talking about and seeing in the, in the charts. Um, so one of the things that Jyotish people are talking about is that the nodes and the nodes for those who are new to this is the nodes are the place in the sky where the eclipses will happen. Mm. And an eclipse will happen when the sun and the moon and the earth line up. Mm. And so you'll either have a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse and that'll either happen in the north orbit or the south orbit. And in Jyotish, we call the north node Rahu and the south mm. node is Ketu. Mm. And that is, uh, Rahu is uh, Rakshasa. <laughs> mm. So Rahu is a demon, a dragon, who is said to be, it's said to be a beheaded dragon. And there's a beautiful mythology around that, but for the sake of time, Rahu is the head of the dragon, and Ketu is the tail, the body and the tail of the dragon. And they live in, the, in opposite sides of the sky. So in a chart, you'll always see them on opposite sides of the chart. That means seven signs or seven houses apart. And since late March, depends where you are exactly, March 27th for us here, of 2019, Rahu has gone into Gemini, and K2 is now in Sagittarius. And they, generally, the nodes take about 18 months to transit through a sign. So we are coming close to the end of that. So it's about, it's late March 2019. Until again, it depends on where you are. For us, it's September 19th. In India, it's more likely to be September 20th of this year, 2020. They will be transiting out of their place where they are now, respectively Gemini and Sagittarius, and into respectively Taurus and Scorpio. Rahu to Taurus, K2 to Scorpio. 
The bad news is the worst place you can find them is where they've been currently. Mm -hmm. But the good news is the best place you can find them is where they're going to. I see. So things are going to get getting better. Yeah. In the, in the, where they are now, Rahu is very air, very Vata Mm -hmm. and all the depletion of the air element. I mean, high winds, hurricane tornadoes, all the, all the things when the air element can really create chaos and uncertainty and change. And this is where, what Rahu is. And Rahu is in Gemini, which is an air sign. K2 is more of fire. He's been in Sagittarius, which is a fire, sort of a fire Pitakafa sign. Now, K2 can relate to viral infections. Rahu can create to uncertainty and chaos. Wow. Uh, this is COVID-19 right. explained. Right. In, few. Late, <laughs> in the later part of 2019, more specifically, Rahu went into the nakshatra of Ardra. And again, just to back up for people new to it, there are 12 signs. Signs are groupings of stars or constellations. There are 27 nakshatras. And just to make it easy, let's just say that the nakshatra is a star. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the stars in that constellation. So we'll say, for instance, your moon may be in Gemini. And when you were born, it was closest to this, this particular star we call Ardra. Mm. And so Ardra is a beautiful word. Rearrange the letters in that word and you get Rudra. The wow. fierce yeah, face of Shiva. Exactly. The fierce energy of Shiva, who kind of takes things down. I always think of Shiva in that fierce form as he's dissolving form back to source, back to essence. So ultimately we're coming back to pure awareness, to our pure being. But it's hard to, have, to go through the process of dissolving that dissolution, that taking down. Ardra is also a word that means drop. Now this is interesting because it's said to mean a teardrop, but it can also mean a water drop. How does COVID travel? Travels in water drops. That's why we want to wear masks. Mm-hmm. so that the water drops don't get coughed, let's say, on someone. So here we have K2, a fire, in a fireplace. And Sagittarius is at the center of the ga- galaxy. So it's in the galactic center. So it's v- and, and, and while for a long time, not, not the whole time, but for a long time, while Rahu was in Arjuna Nakshatra, K2 was in Mula Nakshatra, which is the root. Mm-hmm. So uprooting, uprooting systems uprooting the normal, uprooting all of us on some level, uprooting the economy, uprooting the health systems, uprooting what we consider to be our normal, our daily lives. Very much there's a lot of uprooting, a lot of uncertainty. And these two nodes were really acting. I always like to say, though, that they they will upset the apple cart, Mm -hmm. but they're not like Saturn. Saturn will upset the apple cart and break everything, (laughs) whereas they will upset the apple cart. And usually we can then you know, restand the apple cart and put everything back. So we'll see when they move. The difference between, just to give you an example, we a lot of us talk about the Spanish flu. We say, mm-hmm. oh, the last time we had something like this, 1918, 1919, and that went on for three years. Well, what is three years? That's the 18 months doubled. So what happened then is you had K2, you had the opposite, you had K2 in Gemini. And you had Rahu and Sagittarius. So when those, they created the Spanish flu and that epidemic, they didn't create it, but it's a symbol of or reflection of that. They then moved, but they didn't move. They moved in opposite ways. So then they moved, K2 would have moved in to Taurus, excuse me, to Gemini. So the thing that's different about it now is that we had the same um, planets in the same signs this time, 
but in the opposite. So before there was Ketu in Gemini, now it's Rahu in Gemini. Before it was Rahu in, in Sagittarius, now it's Ketu in Sagittarius. So when they move, they're moving somewhere good. Whereas before, a hundred years ago, the movement was again into a place that wasn't so great. Now they're moving into Taurus and Scorpio where they are exalted. It's supposed to bring out the best in them. They're shadows. They cause eclipses. So we'll see what the best is that they can bring to the world. But at least there's this idea that they won't be doing such harm. And again, that's late September. Meanwhile, Jupiter, who we usually think of as guru, we usually think of him as the most benefic of planets. In November of 2019, he moved into Sagittarius, joining Saturn. So all, I mean, 2019 was a mess too, because in 2019 in, in the summer, we had Mars was with Rahu and Saturn was with Ketu. So two of the great malefic planets were joined up with the nodes to really stir things up, cause a lot of chaos. Then in November, Jupiter joined Saturn and Ketu in Sagittarius. And what did Jupiter do? Even though he's so benefic, he is an expansive planet. He's a very gaseous planet. So what does he do? He expands things. He represents the globe and the global. And so he took COVID around the world. He expanded it and expanded it to every all the range. Then he, in late, late March, he, sorry, in late January, Saturn moved out of Sagittarius into Capricorn. Late March, Jan, uh, Jupiter moved into Capricorn. We had a little bit of a respite in April. We started to think things were, well, we stayed home, but we started to think things were going to look better. The numbers started going down. We started hearing that the scientists were working on some good solutions, etc. But then what happened? The planets went retrograde. Jupiter on June 30th moved back into Sagittarius. He's rejoined K2. He's now retrograde and we've had a spike. I was saying to people I, who were asking me what's going to happen back in March and April, I said, I wish I could give you better news, but I think in July, August, we will see a spike. And wow. at least where we are, we have a spike. We have a really serious spike in, in the United States. And same here where I'm yeah. So Jupiter retrograded back into Sagittarius. So again, he's expanding. He's sort of feeding it. Now, here's, so the good news is he is going to go direct later in, in August. And then, then he'll have a month until K2 leaves. Once K2 leaves Sagittarius and goes to Scorpio, Sat, uh, Jupiter will be alone in Sagittarius, his own sign. So he has a lot of strength there. He will also be direct and he will be by himself. So he will be able to, I think we'll see some good things. I think he'll be able to bring in his grace, his guidance, his wisdom, and help guide us towards a little bit more towards the light. He's only going to be there for two months. He's only got two months left. So he'll be only in, in Sagittarius until late November. And the dates depend on where you are. Uh, but then he moves into Capricorn where he'll join Saturn. And I think that's when we're going to have the work of rebuilding our, our economies and rebuilding our businesses, etc. And that will go on for at least a year or two. But we, we at least, I think, will start to see hope later in September when the nodes move and they're leaving Jupiter in a very strong place to be helpful and to be a guide for us. Uh, but, you know, one of the great, great astrologers of India had said 2020, and he's, he did say, no, we have to be careful because he did say that in his mind, December is the, the, the nadir, the lowest point of the adharmic time of our lives. Mm. He did feel that 2020 is an adharma 
mm-hmm. a period of A dharma. So then what is the answer to that? Take the A off that. Dharma. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a time where we are all being asked to really deepen into our practices, mm-hmm. deepen into your meditation, deepen into the practices that bring you into peace. And to not go outside because when the nodes, think the nodes create confusion. They create a lack of clarity. They create uncertainty. So find the certainty within. Find the stable ground within. Find the clarity within you. Don't be looking for it outside. We don't know all the answers now. And until September, I'm not sure we will really know the answers in the way forward. But we do know through our practices that we have something within us that is certain, that is stable, that is light, and that is love. And that light can never be eclipsed. The Jyotish says when there's a, an eclipse, a solar or a lunar eclipse, don't go out and look at it. Go in and find the light within you that can never be eclipsed. And root into that, ground into that. That's where your answers lie. Till September, we go inside. <laughs> well, that's really well put. So, uh, I mean, we read about um, scientific explanations of uh, how the virus spreads and how it is coming back. But also it's a completely different approach of looking at through the planetary movements. I mean, mm. we are, what is known as only a drop, the unknown is an ocean. So we are yet to experiment what are the other options that we have to look into for a bright future here. Right. And many people, the sorts of people that you may come across who may be listening to your beautiful, wonderful podcast with so many great people, are people who may be alive in this time to help keep the Dharma, to help hold the Dharma. Mm-hmm. So I, I also encourage people, never forget, you may be part of the solution. Not because you know all the answers in the external world, but because you have that strong heart, that good heart. Mm-hmm. And so do everything you can to keep your heart and your body and your mind healthy and strong. Because what we need is more people to awaken and to bring more light and more love to the world. We need that now more than ever. Exactly. And that's why it is said, once you follow your dharma, everything will align to protect you. Yes. Yes. Jupiter is the planet of protection. The planet of dharma and the planet of protection. Yes. Beautiful. So we can expect from... Uh, post-September for the flights to resume. (laughs) (laughs) And we're all coming to Sita Ram. (laughs) Sri Ram, Jay Ram, Jay Sita Ram. (laughs) Let's pray. (laughs) Thank you so much, Laura, for this beautiful, beautiful explanation. I really enjoyed this podcast. It's, It's a really insightful podcast. How can people find you and do you offer consultations? Of course, I offer consultations and I want people to know that I also have a donate button on my website so they can pay whatever mm-hmm. is most comfortable for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my website is lauraplumb.com and they can find me there. I'm also on Instagram at lauraplumb where I'm doing some, some live things. I talk about the moon and Jyotish and what's happening and planetary influences there as well. Yes, and I will also um, put the link of your cookbook uh, that oh, you yes, have, yes. and I will also put all the sh- all the details about how they can reach you in the show notes. Perfect. I really appreciate you, and I I hope your family and you stay well. 
and wish you the same you. and uh, thank you so much for being a part of my podcast thank you great blessings to you and to all thank you dora